Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, as well as the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other great podcasts like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Now, Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy and, more importantly, make it work. If you like any of these topics, you definitely want to go check out the show, how to write and deliver a captivating speech, how to market yourself into a new job, how design can help and also hurt your revenue, creating a social media ad strategy that actually works. If these topics resonate with you, go check out Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is David Fink. Now, David is a 15-year consumer internet veteran. He is a revenue-focused and growth-focused entrepreneur. He has a passion for creating disruptive business models and unique monetization strategies. He focuses on discovering opportunities to drive rapid growth, and his creative yet data-driven approach to marketing and monetization has generated hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for ad tech, lead generation, and commerce companies. Over the last decade, Dave has launched and scaled over 20 consumer internet businesses. During the early part of his career, he created performance marketing platforms helping brands as diverse as Walt Disney World, Procter & Gamble, and The Gap adapt to the rapidly changing digital media strategies available in the internet world. Today, he is the CEO and co-founder of Posty, where his team uses direct mail to transform brands including Lyft, Casper, Warby Parker, and many more. What do we speak about? We spoke about his early role in a variety of different commerce companies, including Dollar Shave Club. We spoke about the importance of experience in building a new category. We spoke about how to win in modern marketing through social media. We spoke about how to market effectively without sharing data, as well as some thoughts on the future of marketing that are incredibly important for you and your business. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. This is Dave Fink. He is the co-founder and CEO of Posty. Yeah, so I, I can you know t- tell you um, kind of abbreviated kind of um, you know uh, you know history of of kind of my trajectory and what got me here. Uh, I graduated college many many years ago and um, had almost no applicable you know real world skills and somehow um, pretty early on fell into working for a marketing technology company in kind of the the Web 1.0 era. Uh, I was in Chicago where where um, I, I was born and raised. And um, I just really early on fell in love with the whole kind of startup culture. Um, I, you know, the, the company I was working for was a startup itself, but we, um, you know, I, I was on the sales team uh, for many years there. I think I was, was at this first company about seven years and spent a lot of time selling into, you know, Fortune 1000 companies, but also had the opportunity to sell into um startups and 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 you know these fortune 500 companies or 1000 companies I'd, I'd show up and we'd be in the you know these tiny little offices and um have a fairly boring conversation and i'd come back six months later and be a different person that same office same set of questions but i would go walk into these startups and and i would you know if it was an early startup i'd be talking usually to some of the founders um and and they were working off card tables and you know terrible office spaces and you know we'd do some business together i'd come back 6 months later and they'd be in a, a much bigger office with you know 10 times as many people and maybe a real table instead of a card table and uh 
and and I come back a year later, and there'd be a bunch of you know Ferraris in the parking lot, and and hundreds of people, and and I didn't quite understand it back then, but there was a, there was this energy in um, in technology and 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 kind of the the start of culture. And fast forward twenty five years um, later, uh, had um, the opportunity to to be involved in in launching a wide range of companies, ranging from consumer brands to marketing technology platforms. And, uh, and, and just, I've, I've kind of spent my life in, in four or five year chapters working on taking an idea to market and trying to find product market fit and scale. And I'll probably be doing it for another 25 years. You just fast forwarded through 25 years of, of your life and you just glossed over it. Like you've had, I think, I think you just went through everything like you when you said you just started a couple different companies like when i look on your resume so i'm just going back I'm, I'm going back and i think i i don't even see i'm just looking through here right now on your linkedin i don't even see like there's a story about dollar shave club um that uh you were part of dollar shave club no were you not um so sort of uh because so there's a whole bunch a... of other things on your resume that i didn't even see it there like you had uh like q interactive blush Beautyfix.com, uh, Endemic Access Group, Beachmint, uh, and then obviously Posty, like most recently. You have a whole bunch of stuff. So I just, I want to dig into Dollar Shave because that's a name like everybody knows. It's like a huge CPG success. It, it was incredible. I, I, honestly, like, I mean, that that was um, from day one through, you know, the, the you know, acquisition from, you know, to, or, or sell to, to Unilever. Um, it was textbook fantasy, uh, you know, startup experience. So uh, I, I was a uh, one of the the partners at a, at a tech studio in Santa Monica called Science, and we, it, it, you know, we're typically you know first money in investors in in very early stage concepts. And and Mike Dubin, who's the founder of, of Dollar Shave Club, um, came and, and pitched us. Um, uh, and and at that point, it was pre launch, um, you know, pre website. Uh, he had a rough cut of his initial, like world-renowned, incredibly, you know, amazing, you know, viral video that has become the poster child for how you launch a business in the direct-to-consumer space, and um, and we were taken by him. Um, yeah, the concept itself, itself, I think, was fine. Um, you know, selling you know men's grooming products direct to consumer, but it was really his ability to bring a story to life in at a time that. YouTube was just becoming YouTube and Facebook was just becoming Facebook. Um, it was, you know, so, so, so certainly um, that, that was not a company that, that, that I started, but it was, it was a company that, um, that I, that um, I was able to invest in very early on. And, and the first two years of that, the life of Dollar Shave Club day, it was incubated right in our offices. Um, that's so cool. That is that. That's really cool, man. I didn't. So when I was looking at that, like you, you've been part of some like wild rides, but let's like, like, let's back it up. So, um, what are some of the, what are some of the, I guess some of the companies, cause you've done, a, you've been involved, invested, or just helping run a lot of startups. Uh, what were some of the companies where you saw success that kind of got you hooked? Why did you get hooked outside of, you know, the fact that you were just selling to startups versus enterprise and you and you saw a little bit of the culture and uh, the way they could disrupt and how fast they could grow. But when you started working in startup, what was that first, you know, entrance point into that type of environment for you? Well, I, I think what what kind of 
the, the bug that really bit me was this idea of there's kind of a career trajectory where it's a series of jobs and you develop very specific skill sets and you kind of work through, um, you know, a, a very kind of rigid um, structure and chain of commands. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're like that, that's a great fit for many people. I, I, yeah, there, there are people that quite frankly are, are work within our company that are, are much more, um, their brains work in, in terms of structure and process and organization. Startups need that just as much as big enterprise companies for sure. But for me, and I think my brain always worked more entrepreneurially in, uh, in, in being able to kind of like recognize an opportunity or recognize that there's a problem. And, uh, and, and as soon as I kind of, um, saw just how fast in this kind of technology startup world, you could recognize an opportunity or recognize, um, that you may have a solution to a problem, get that to market and, and very quickly, um, you know, create trajectory and, and momentum to me that, that, that was like eye opening, and and it wasn't it, it wasn't like a, a kind of like a, a short you know shortcutting you know um, uh, in, in my career. I mean, look, it's taken been doing this for a lot of years. It's taken <laughs> me a lot of time to learn and develop skills and 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 put it all together successfully. But it, it was that my brain worked in terms of um, not recognizing, um, not getting stuck in process and steps necessary to. Um, accomplish things it was it was if something could be done you figure out a way to, to do it and um and i think for me the 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 path to um uh to using startups as a platform to be able to create things um yeah it, it just it fits it fits the way that my brain works and um and and uh and and i and i was smitten from pretty early on no, that's great, man. No, and and I guess also like you know, it just sort of syncs up with your personality. I think it like to be a founder or to get in early stage, you do have to have like a certain kind of personality. Like it's not like it's not for it's not for everyone. Like it takes a, like a certain kind of crazy to like love doing this again and again and again. <laughs> like it, there's it, a, I tell people there's a like an easier way to make a buck for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, 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 I, I have way more gray hair than than I did yeah you know, just a few years ago. Um, but there's, I mean, from, from my perspective, there's, there's just, there's nothing like waking up in the morning and knowing that you have an opportunity to, 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 you know, finish your day and, and realize that you don't even remember how you got there from, you know, <laughs> seven in the morning to nine at night or midnight or, or whatnot. Um, it was just, you had the freedom to, to just keep creating and, and improving and, and optimizing your business. But how do you pick how do you pick which category because you've done a whole bunch of stuff so even like the most recent company you're building is very different from any d2c cpg brand um even like a traditional SaaS play like it's still like it's it's out there so how do you choose what to go into next because it's not like you're just you figured out like a startup playbook but it's not even like a category specific playbook that you execute just seems to be like whatever you touch seems to end up working out, which is pretty damn good. Like I, we should talk after and I can probably, you know, get a couple hours of consulting just on stuff that I'm working on. But how do you, how do you decide where to go next? Well, certainly I'd be happy to do that. And we can just <laughs> you know, talk openly here. On, on the yeah, show. Sure. Um, but uh, to be clear, like there's no shortage of, of like things that didn't work and, <laughs> and, and I'm proud of them. Like lots of them are on my LinkedIn profile as well um, because those, those were all, 
um, you know, steps to, I think, um, a, a, a constant journey in trying to get better and better at, at, um, at, at you know, building stuff and, and creating value. We, so, so I think um, my, my ability and any, anyone's ability to um, make good decisions uh, comes from some trial and error, um, a, a lot of awareness and pattern recognition. Um, so certainly the longer and the more thing at bats you have, you can start picking up on, um, on, you know, on patterns and, and attributes that, um, you know, make a business more likely to be successful or, or less likely to be successful. And there are a couple of things that are just, you know, I think common sense to me now, but probably weren't common sense to me, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, one of those, those rules that I try and live by and, and impose upon our teams and, in, and individuals on our teams as well is, you know, that that you want to be focused on things and spending your time um, in areas where you're going to get a um, a disproportionate return from them, and and you know, we work in in a marketing and in, in an advertising space at, at, at Posty, and I spent a lot of time there. Um, when I was on the brand side, and I had you know media buying teams or marketing teams that were trying to figure out you know where should we be spending our time, what's the next channel we should be experimenting with to try and you know, find, you know, additional growth or, or speed up the evolution of our business. One of the things that I used to have them do is, is, you know, you had to look at, at are these channels, you know, optimizable? Are our prospect consumers, you know, spending time on those platforms, et cetera? Um, do they have the tools and the data and the measurement to be able to, to give us the feedback we need to, to make those channels successful? And you check all those boxes and you get really excited about it. But but the the final box and the biggest box is well if you do everything right and you put in all this effort and time you know testing your way through this advertising channel and you succeed and you're and you're 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 you know, you're, you're doing a good job um, you know optimizing this this channel is it scalable mm -hmm. is it big enough is it worth your time and in some cases sure right social channels like Facebook or now TikTok and Snap. Like those are really big, massive channels. And if you put in the time and effort into those channels, you can make them, you know, not just successful, but but that success can can lead to lots of scale. Business is the same, is no different, right? So you might have a really, you know, uncover a a, an, a a huge challenge, and that challenge you might have a really interesting solution for, and you might realize you can build technology or software or infrastructure to to solve that problem. And then you look at what, what investors call TAM or total addressable market, and you realize like this is a tiny little market. There are seven potential customers. We can build a world-class solution, totally solve this problem. But in the end, if we succeed, at most we can have seven customers. Like probably not a good business. Um, versus trying to find businesses that, you know, that have real authentic product uh, problems that you think you you have a unique solution for and that have a big total addressable market. Like, to me, that that's almost the number one gating factor. You're going to work just as hard to build a business that serves a really small niche as you are to build a business that that can be big and scalable. Why not focus on on something that that doesn't have that same ceiling? Now, what about okay? So to to play devil's advocate to that, the book behind me, Play Bigger, is all about creating a category, creating your TAM, basically. Sure. So, what is that something that just requires like a an extra level of crazy on top of regular 
entrepreneurship and going into it because it's just so much work to do when you have that blue ocean? Or is that something that can also be forecasted? Or is that too difficult to, to really get into in a in a podcast. No, no. I mean, I love this like a, like a Salesforce, right? like a Salesforce. Like uh, I think in that book, there's like Salesforce. There's IKEA as examples of just people that that created the category and then sold into it. Yeah, that's interesting. So I haven't read the book, um, but but I, I'm a big reader. Um, so I, I'll definitely put it on my list. Um, that's interesting that those are the two um, examples, right? Because you know, certainly Salesforce disrupted a vertical but but there were crms right they were typically server sure. side i think when i first started my career um we were using uh, a client side application called goldmine um that that did a lot of the same things it just wasn't cloud-based and salesforce came along and, and it was better and 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 they innovated and they leveraged modern technology and cloud-based solutions um so i don't know if that if look i I would have to read the book to understand the premise and how they're categorizing. I'll, I'll give you the context, actually. Yeah. So they're saying that um, what what uh, Benioff did was he basically created the cloud movement and just like you know took you know just uh, absolutely took a shit on everybody who had on-prem server-side solutions and said this is ludicrous, this is insane, this is why you should move to the cloud. And then oh look at we just have this great solution that fits that narrative already. So that's that's sort of the the creating a category, the cloud category, and then sold into it with a CRM. Yeah, that looks. I think that's like that's fair. Um, I mean, I, I might argue a little bit with the, the author of that book. Um, yeah, not you, but the author of the book. That, that that to me, it still doesn't sound like a category. It sounds like a complete overhaul and modernization of a category. Okay. Um, again, a brilliant solution, amazing company. Uh, but but when I think about creating categories, um, I I think about it to, to answer the the original question. You know, when you think about creating your own category, I, I think you know timing and luck play mm -hmm. a really big role. And then there's usually some level of brilliance in there. And so you know you look at like you know Google and search, right? I I think that's probably creating a category, yeah. right? That's fair. Um, that's a little bit more so. I think I think more so than more so than uh, than just moving things to the cloud and like improving an existing category. I understand that th there's a big difference there. Search didn't really exist in any capacity. Correct, correct. Yeah. And, and and there wasn't a need for it before before the internet and the, the mass amount of, of information that was coming into the, you know, in, in, into the web. Um, I, so I, I think like in that case, like certainly like timing, graduating Stanford, at a, at a time, you know, when technology or the, the internet was just becoming the internet. Um, uh, sorry about that. You might want to cut. That's no. <laughs> um, all good. Man. <laughs> um, so um, I think um, I, I, I think timing, you know, again, luck and brilliance, like it's, it's got to be the convergence of that, at least to build something extraordinary like Google, right? Um, one of the best companies in the history of, of the world. Um, but, but like, you know, the brilliance of, you know, of Larry and Sergey, um, like un undoubtedly, right, exists. Like that company wouldn't have been that company if they weren't as brilliant and capable as they were. But they had to hit timing, right? They had to be at Stanford and Silicon Valley during the emergence of the web. There had to be, you know, they had to be 
at a time in their career where they were able to like take chances, you know, in this kind of coming of age, like that, like all that had to line up, you know, similar to when you look at, um, you know, YouTube, right? Yeah. Like YouTube couldn't have been created eight years earlier, even five years earlier because broadband was too expensive. They couldn't have afforded the servers to, to distribute that type of content. So that's true. Brilliance of that product, but also with tie a little bit of timing and luck, um, is I, I think is is absolutely critical when you're talking about building one of these like completely new game changing titan um, of a company and doesn't happen that often. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, security is one of the major issues big tech is currently facing. From AI scrapes to data leaks, starting your business solidly can be just as difficult as growing it securely. HubSpot is on a mission to help your business grow better with a CRM platform that grows with you. Start your venture with HubSpot's easy-to-use, secure website builder that scales with your business. As you grow, ensure your team of two is just as secure as your team of 200 with secure sign-on, content and asset partitioning, and scalable team permissions. Whatever comes next, make sure your business is ready for it. Learn how your business can grow better at HubSpot.com. Um. Okay, so I want the only reason I brought that up is because later I do want to bring this back to what you're doing with Posty and whether or not. Well, I guess you, you're probably just trying to improve a category, but I still think there's a little bit of a nuance there. Like it's not like it's not like you're just going into like something with a huge TAM because it, I don't think a TAM exists for exactly what you're doing. I think that you're probably disrupting and improving and optimizing. But um, we can go there in a sec. I was also curious about just to sort of bring back to all the different categories that you know that you've built products in and invested uh into in terms of being successful you look for a couple things one thing you didn't mention was experience and i and i thought that was interesting um so talk to me about how important experience in the category is to success oh that's a double-edged sword um and depending on um probably the moment of the day i could argue <laughs> I could take both positions in, the, in that debate. So explain explain why you can take both positions. Explain both both uh, lenses. That okay. You so look at this so uh, yeah, you know, I, I do some investing and um, and uh, and also kind of um, provide some some guidance to friends who do um, you know tech investing. And yesterday or the day before, a friend sent me over a, a pitch deck. It's a category that. I wasn't super familiar with, but you know, reviewed the data and and the deck and the storyline, and he he wanted my feedback on it. And immediately, the the first thing that I the first page in the deck that I that I kind of gravitated towards when trying to synthesize my recommendation to someone I care about whether they should invest their you know hard earned money into this business um, was the team. And and it starts with is the team. You know, capable of 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 pulling this off, um, and that's a wide range, right? It's it's are there the right business leaders, are there the right technicians, are there the right marketers, are there the right operations people, etc. Um, and and this team was extraordinary. Um, you know, military backgrounds, um, just really impressive, like special ops people. Um, but but then they also had. A number of years and a very um, clean trajectory from um, from their armed service days through um, developing category expertise and and vertical you know domain expertise and 
And that made me really comfort, feel comfortable, right? Like here are the, these people that they, they understand the industry that they're going off after building a solution to. You could see how that could lead to demand generation. They knew where to go to source initial you know, deal flow um, and new you know, customer acquisition. But I also think that um, on, on the flip side, when you look and you take someone who has deep domain expertise and has been playing in a system for a long time, they've been trained to think in terms of let's operate efficiently the way that things have always been operated. And so when those type of people oftentimes come in and they, and they have some idea of how they're going to disrupt the industry that they've spent 15 years in, and, and you start kind of going deep and talking through kind of their process and and you know and how they were going to attack the the, the problem, you, you you realize that that they're they're thinking incrementally different differently than they were at the incumbent that they worked for. Mm-hmm. Whereas oftentimes to disrupt something, you, you need a complete fresh perspective. Like you, you can't be um, you know saddled down with all of the reasons why this couldn't work or or things have to be done the way that they've always been done. And and so there are times with when you take an entrepreneur who doesn't have direct domain expertise, has applicable expertise, um, and and that person is more likely to be successful because they're just coming in a little bit naively, looking and saying, like with completely fresh eyes, like this is this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you build an entire industry this way? You know, there's a better framework for how how this industry should be run. And so that's, you know, I, I do, it, it's so interesting that you asked that question because I, I do spend a lot of time thinking about that, um, you know, when making investment decisions, you know, like when does it make sense to invest in someone who does have deep domain expertise and you have that confidence that the, that, that they understand what they're going after and when, when does that not make sense and when would you rather bet on someone who's coming in completely, you know, um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, um, you know, ready to run through, you know, brick walls um, and, and is bringing completely fresh ideas to a legacy industry. Could you, I guess the op, optimal situation would be like both personalities. I, I think so. Right. Where the, or, or what the, or what the industry expertise, I was just thinking like, just like as a, as a, as a entrepreneur going in, maybe the person without the expertise would almost like default to, and just feel comfortable with like somebody coming from the industry, then maybe that might actually dilute their own thought process and and bringing disruptive innovative ideas to a company um i I think there's probably roles for the right roles for both in our company we have both right so jonathan um my co-founder and i uh you know we we have deep domain expertise in in consumer internet and building and scaling direct consumer brands and building marketing technology platforms in kind of digital um quant spaces but we did not have a, a, a background in direct mail, very specific, um, you know, uh, sector within, you know, advertising in general. And and I think because of that, it's allowed us to completely rethink the way that direct mail should be executed. And this is an industry that is, uh, this year, the, the latest numbers I heard is over $50 billion will be spent here in the U.S. in this channel. It's, it's an established 100-year-old um, vertical with some really big players. Um and and so on the entrepreneurial front, the the kind of vision behind you know what we think you know this industry could look like in the future and how it could support advertisers and 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 brands, I think is very different than the way that that senior execs coming out of the direct mail industry you know would think. 
Um, and that works out for our roles. But then, you know, a lot of what we do is around um, complex op or operations and logistics. You know, the heads of those departments, um, you know, we've recruited away from, from, you know, big incumbent companies because, you know, they need to have expertise in how to play within the system, how the U.S. Postal Service works, how freight forwarding and, and logistics providers move pallets of mail around the country, how, um, you know, manufacturers producing, you know, hundreds of millions of pieces of mail a month for us, um, you know, behave and operate, how to source paper in a pandemic. You know, there are all these things that if yeah. you don't have that that domain, deep domain expertise, you have no innovation in the world is going to, you know, is going to make you successful. And so in our company at the executive level, we have a blend of, I think, kind of creative thinkers, like disruptive thinkers and uh, you know those individuals who have deep domain expertise, and that, and and so I think that was kind of your maybe your suggestion, and and it know. it was. I just wasn't. I've never seen. Um, I've always sort of seen one or the other. That's why because I've never been exposed to uh, an organization where you have both. But actually, um, the company that I'm at right now, that's what, what that's how we're trying to build out the leadership team. So. Uh, it's just interesting to to get your perspective on it because I was I would hope it would work. <laughs> and that's like the like the just to to theorize like what would be the best possible way to disrupt an existing in, uh, a category or industry. It's like how do you you bring somebody? Obviously, you have great product, but you bring somebody in who's from that industry, and you combine somebody who is just a creative entrepreneurial thinker, and then like those two in tandem can work together to do like incredible stuff. But I'm like living through this right now, so that's why I was just curious. Um, yeah, anyway. no, I, look, I, 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 we could certainly take this, you know, offline as well, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm seeing it firsthand that, that it can work. You also, there has yeah. to be a lot of other components um, that, that, of course, that yeah. work collaboratively within, you know, the, those um, kind of differing personality types or experience types. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's probably a pretty good recipe to have a little bit of both. So, okay. So walk me through, walk me through what you're doing with Posty then. Um, now, this is, I want to obviously just speak about the mechanics of the business, why you chose to go into this industry in particular, because again, it's very different from what you've done in the past. But also let's talk about modern marketing, because I think it, I think it sort of is very much in sync with uh, getting people's attention, uh, just disrupting the constant flow of information that people are getting from all these other sources that they're used to getting information from. Um, so yeah, give me, give me a, a lowdown on, on Posty and, and what you're doing. Sure. Well, you know, Posty um, at, at its core is a direct mail channel management platform. So um, for those, you know, those on the marketing side of things that are kind of listening, uh, probably the simplest way to think about it is, you know, the, like the, the programmatic platform for direct mail, the trade desk for direct mail, um, uh, the DV360 for direct mail. Um, it, it gives marketers all of the technology and software tools to be able to 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 bring best of breed components ranging from you know execution logistics to um, measurement and insights to data science predictive modeling um, audience creative um, you know campaign um, you know management and optimization all those things that that we've come to rely on that allow us to leverage the big digital channels social search email, et cetera, programmatic. Um, and, but, but layer that on top of an incredibly productive, incredibly high converting channel like direct mail um, to, to bring direct mail more in the mix with kind of your holistic marketing strategy versus 
running direct mail, um, you know, on the side or disconnected from the rest of your your, your quantitative, certainly digital um, addressable uh, marketing strategies. Um, now this is okay. So when uh, when we're actually using this for a marketer, is there uh, let let's understand why this is so useful. Like why disrupting um, and being able to measure the results as well through direct mail. Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and Netsuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners. Because there's one thing that we all know: business is about making money, and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more: supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins, and I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own cost and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
different. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. As a marketer, the first thing you think about is that's antiquated, that's outdated. Um, maybe I would use that as like part of an ABM campaign, but it's going to be like a small part of it. So what what place or what gap or what void does this posty fill for a marketer and why is it doing it successfully? So as marketers in twenty almost 2022, um, uh, the, I'll rewind these, probably will be 2022 by the time you launch this, right? It will be 2022 okay. by the time I launch this. I mean, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. 
So, so as marketers in, you know, in, in 2022, you know, you know, the way that we approach, you know, um, you know, our, our trade, our craft is very different than it was, you know, a couple of decades ago. So the ability to understand our customers has never been, been stronger. Um, the insight we have into the differences between different types of customers, um, you know, how they behave, um, depending on how we speak with them or how we merchandise to them, et cetera. Um, yeah, that's something that, that digital has, has you know, gifted us, right? And so when you think about um, this idea of addressable marketing or programmatic marketing, it, it's an it's a individual or an audience first um, approach. Whereas, you know, at some point, yeah, you know, brand marketing is is really kind of a brand centric first approach, right? Mm -hmm. It starts with the brand and storytelling. Um, they both need to go hand in hand to build big, successful companies. And what we what we've seen over the last really 15 years is this movement to 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 digital um, as kind of the, the way to kind of establish our addressable marketing. And really, it's two behemoths. It's, it's search and it's social and, and it's Facebook and it's Google. And and whether you're a digital native brand that has emerged, you know, uh, um, you know, from kind of a digital first perspective or whether you're a big Fortune 500, Fortune 50 company that has spent a lot of time and energy migrating into a data first approach, digital first approach um, to engaging with your customers, um, you've seen a lot of power and success there. And you've, to some extent, become addicted to the dynamic nature of executing campaigns and optimization and the flow of data and the predictive um, value of, of those channels. Um, but you've also probably dealt with the pain of, the, of hitting ceilings on those, those two giant platforms. And you've dealt with the pain of them changing their algorithms on you. And you've, you've felt the pain of them convincing you to build you know, followers and then, and then deciding they're going to charge you to distribute content to those same followers that you already paid to you know, to, to build an ecosystem around, like we've all lived through that. And, and there's, there's obviously good and there's bad in, in all that. Um, for us, we started feeling that pain about six, seven years ago as marketers. And we just looked around and said, like, we can't wake up anymore with, with our entire, you know, livelihood, the success of our businesses being relying, relying on, you know, two algorithms working. Mm -hmm. And and so we started, um, you know, researching other channels where where you know very similar you know test and optimization approaches um, could leverage good results. And in the digital world, you know, again, it was six six years ago or so. So you know, there wasn't TikTok and Snap didn't have an ad platform, and and you were pretty much limited to to Google and Facebook, and then you know long tail programmatic. So we started spending more time offline, and in the in the offline world, um, you know the one channel that showed some signs of um, some, you know, some signs of, I think, similarity between, you know, digital uh, or with digital was, was direct mail. And, and what we fell in love with was there's, you know, it's, it's massive. Anybody with an address is reachable through the channel. Um, it's highly effective. You know, we had done tons of research on, on brands that had, you know, tremendously successful results across broad sets of verticals and company sizes there's um, a wealth of data that can be used very similarly to how you build and, and train lookalike audiences and CRM segments on email or you know, on, on social platforms. And with brands knowing more, having more and more identity mapping, um, you know, on with their data, we knew that measurement was really could be really clean and possible. And so 
really that aha moment was like, hey, this all looks really similar to your programmatic or social or search, um, but it's not a it's not a closed wall, a walled garden, right? And so like the U.S. Postal Service can't change algorithms on you and can't move people's mailboxes around and try and you know trick you into um, spending more money with them um, and increasing your marketing budget. Uh, and so for us, it, it became, you know, it, it became this, this, we had this like little twinkle in our eye um, and said, Hey, I wonder if it's possible to, 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 it, to evolve the technologies um, and platform tools that we've come to use to optimize social search, programmatic email, CRM, et cetera, um, and bring that over to the direct mail world. And the only, the only, gap that I, I need to understand is, okay, so that all makes sense. The targeting all makes sense. It's like, it falls in line with like an existing marketer's experience workflow, but how do you get those data points from a conversion perspective? Cause that is the most important metric, right? So if I'm direct mailing a customer, how the hell do I know if they take that letter and then they go onto my website and then they actually buy a product? Cause that would be the only thing that I don't understand how to track with a direct mail tool. So there's a, a a number of different ways that um, that that um, you know you can run attribution through through direct mail. At its core, what's special about it is unlike some of these channels that are are kind of freaking out right now about the deprecation of the cookie or mm -hmm. the latest version of iOS that that is going to make digital you know tracking harder and, and potentially you know arguably non-existent at some point in the future. Um, the the kind of core match point with direct mail is, is the actual address, right? So you have to be able to tell the U.S. Postal Service where to send a piece of mail to, and you have various you know insights into you know that specific um, you know address, and um, and most advertisers these days have a direct relationship with the consumer um, either through a web transaction or a registration point or a POS system that allows them to, to know who their customers are. And, 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 and you can then match back the, the address of a, of a converter with the address of a recipient of direct mail during um, an attribution window and start calculating okay. direct measurement. Okay, so then that, so that solves, the, so that solves the, last, the last piece of attribution. So then um, last question would be, just as a marketer, is this more of a B2B focused uh, tool or can it be used for B2C where your, your, you know, your average, you know, customer, like contract value or, 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 or order value is much lower, right? So, uh, the vast majority of clients on the post platform are, are consumer brands. Really? And in okay. the widest range of categories. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, just about anything that you've bought, um, yeah, in the last 30 days, I'm sure we have multiple clients that are you know selling those, those similar products and finding value in direct mail, um, yeah. The, the conversion rates tend to be very high. Doesn't mean it's an easy channel to get right. That's why I think mm -hmm. we have a business. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're bringing yeah some some software um, that makes complicated things a little bit easier. Um, but uh, the I mean the, the the general average order value of a consumer good um, you know uh, compared to the conversion rate needed to get a positive return on your ad spend is well in line with what what direct mail can deliver. Every once in a while, there's an outlier, right? You're you're talking about you know selling one off nail polish for four dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah, if if that you know, and, and if your average order value is you know two or three you know bottles of nail polish, and it's a ten to fifteen dollar 
you know, um, you know, AOV, like that, probably harder to make a channel like direct mail works. Um, but yeah, you know, subscription products, pretty rare situation. Yeah. I was going to say subscription products, like anything, sure, if there's um, a, that has like a higher AOV. Yeah. 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 So, so we work with, um, you know, plenty of clients who on a, on a per transaction basis, the AOV is relatively, um, light, but the expected lifetime value based on, uh, you know, reoccurring revenue model. Uh, is is you know, so more than supports um, uh, the the cost of the channel. And then if I was going to use it for now, I'm just being selfish again. If I'm going to use it for a D2C product, um, are you acting as say I actually want to send out samples? Does Posty act as fulfillment for that, or am I hooking up Posty with my own distribution center, my own distribution channel? How does it actually work with all the different tools that you know are under the hood? Yeah, either either way works. Um, yeah, the vast majority of of advertisers are are not sending samples, um, partly because yeah, there's more incremental cost associated with that, and there are some nuances of what can and can't go through U.S. Postal Service attached or fixed to um, you know a piece of mail or postcard. But yeah, we have expertise in that, and um, and there are there's certainly a number of clients, especially in, in I think the skincare space is is one where we see fairly regularly. Um, you have samples as, as a component in their, in their direct mail arsenal. And, and we certainly can, um, support those campaigns if they're, you know, they're, they're, they're other clients who have, um, uh, you know, a current, um, you know, third-party logistics provider that they're working for the, the kind of assembly of a sample kit with, um, a, spe- you know, a specific piece of mail and, and we can certainly, you know, um, take possession of those and, and in more of a dropship um, relationship as well. So lots of different ways cool. that we can work together. How do you, okay, so um, this is part of uh, a modern marketer's arsenal. Um, how, do you, how do you win modern marketing? How do you uh, marry this up with, uh, with Facebook, with PPC, uh, programmatic to actually stand out in any category? What's your main takeaways? So, you know, for, for me, uh, everything starts with audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do that one again, too. Hey, knock it off, knucklehead. You're doing great. Um, so, um, uh, so that, that, that is, it's, a, it's a phenomenal question, and, um, and it's one that... that we spend a lot of time thinking about ultimately, you know, in, in a kind of a modern marketer's world, uh, you know, my, my belief is that every, you know, marketing starts with the audience and, um, and, and it used to be like in, you know, web 1.0 it was always like targeting, targeting, targeting. Now to me, it's really understanding your first party data. Um, you know, there's no excuse for not understanding who your customers are and, and, and not just understanding who they are in aggregate, but, but understanding the differences within different segments of purchasers and, and, and how different segments behave within your customer file. When you start there, then you need to start looking for channels that you can activate, um, you know, those audiences or that you can use that first party data to build, you know, lookalike audiences and um and 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 kind of start your marketing with the advantage right so if you if you think about you understand this specific you know high aov frequent purchaser customer set um who shops you know in this one specific category and and you've you've done your your research and you have a really good sense on 
what makes these individuals unique and what type of messaging they respond to, then you can leverage that data to go after individuals that, you know, that look very similar to those. You can do that on Facebook. You can do that on GDN. You can do that, I believe, through the trade desk programmatically. And you can do that at, on Posty through, you know, through direct mail. What, what you're doing is you're not saying like direct mail needs to work or Facebook or social needs to work. You're, you're saying, I understand my customer base and I'm going to look about, you know, figure out ways to activate audiences um, that are similar with, um, you know, the right messaging and offer and frequency and storytelling. And, and to me, um, you know, that's the beauty of, 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 of what we're doing with direct mail. It's, it's don't think about direct mail as just another channel or something that you do in addition to other things that you're doing in marketing, but, but rather start with kind of a holistic approach of what you're looking to accomplish within your marketing stack, top of funnel, bottom of funnel, retention, et cetera. Think of, you know, attack a kind of a data first, you know, insight first approach to understand your customers and, and the segments within them. And then, and then bring together the channels that can allow you to activate those audiences and prospect pools um, with, with control and prediction measurement. I just want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Swag.com. Now, you know, if you've ever received a corporate gift or swag in the past, how many of those gifts did you actually keep? Probably not many, which is probably because the stuff that you got was not so great. I've gotten... Uh, like a lot of stuff from trade shows and from companies in the past that I've just thrown out the second I get it. So this is why you need to check out swag.com. I've been on the receiving end of getting garbage gifts. I've also worked in companies where I only had access to a really, really small inventory of stuff that I wanted to give my customers and my employees. And I knew that it wasn't going to resonate. I knew that it was going to suck. So what is swag.com? Well, it's like Swag upgraded. It's the best place to buy custom gifts and swag that people will actually want to keep. So they sent me a box because obviously they're sponsoring the show and I wanted to see what it's all about. I, you know, I've worked in businesses. I want to make sure that the quality of their stuff actually was up to my standards because I can tell you right now that when I get garbage, it goes right into the trash. It, like, it really goes right into the trash the second I get back from the trade show or the conference or whatever. So I received one of the custom swag boxes from swag.com. I loved the unique packaging, so it was a beautiful unboxing experience. Uh, I love the actual products they sent me, and there's a whole bunch more that obviously they didn't send me, but the stuff that they did send was absolutely beautiful. It was very high quality, and I can only imagine that if I actually got this when I was working for companies, I probably would have actually used it. And to be honest, I'm going to start using them for people that work on my show and in my company as well because I know that this isn't just uh, a novelty gift that somebody's going to throw. It's stuff that they can actually use. They have so many unique and customizable gifts that I've never seen anywhere else. They have custom yoga mats. They have custom Apple AirPods. They even have branded kayaks, which I did not know was a thing. So they carry all these premium brands like North Face, Yeti, Nike, and more. And it's all customizable with your company's logo or artwork. Uh, with swag.com, they take care of all of your swag at their warehouse and they ship it to individual addresses. Or if you prefer, uh, you can just send it to a bulk location in one single shipment. It's easy to manage uh, from their online portal, which you obviously get access to. So if this is something that you think would benefit you. If you have clients or customers or a team and you want to go the extra mile and you actually want to give gifts that people appreciate, which is the whole point of giving these gifts in the first place, go to swag.com 
uh, for the perfect swag and custom gifts. Right now, they're giving everybody who's a Success Story podcast listener a special offer. It's 10% off your entire order, but only when you go to swag.com slash success and enter promo code SUCCESS10. Remember, for 10% off, go to swag.com slash success and use promo code SUCCESS10. And do you feel like um, we have to be, uh, of course, understanding first-party data is important, but it's becoming harder to potentially understand that when I feel like consumers are pushing back on what data is actually shared. Uh, every Facebook marketer I speak to now is having a tough time getting insights after an iOS update, right? So how do you, how do you combat that, still maintain effectiveness when the average consumer is getting much wiser about not wanting to share their data uh, that impacts you as a marketer in a major way. So how does direct mail potentially is one facet of the solution, but it's not, it's not the end all. Yeah. That's a, a way yeah, broader, um, you know, uh, um, challenge and, and, um, and, and conversation, um, you know, that, that, that attacks pretty much every channel. Um, first of all, you know, just, there is an advantage and 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 um and we didn't set out to solve this problem we just happen to be maybe this is some of the luck we talked about right place at the right time but in a world where digital could move more and more to contextual and less addressable um it just increases the power and value of 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 a channel like direct mail where you're not relying relying on a on a on a cookie or digital fingerprint yeah. but you're actually using household address level data as as your you know identity key so your know, direct mail will always be an addressable channel, um, and and I think could play a more powerful role in in a marketer stack over time, um, depending on how the evolution of some of these compliance, um, um, you know, uh, technology changes happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think customers getting wiser is or consumers getting wiser is is is, is a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, I Agreed, don't yeah, and I don't see a world where consumers are are going to be unwilling to share data, they're just going to be selective in what data and to whom they share. So, you know, when you think about just building, you know, quality businesses, you, you know, that's, you, you got to build a quality product. You, and, you know, you, you want to think about good ingredients or components. Um, you want to think about an authentic marketing, um, you know, messaging. Um, and you want to treat, you know, your customers really well and, and part of treating them well is being honest and forthright and upfront and transparent, which is what all this privacy, you know, movement is in, in re, you know, regulatory changes are, are trying to, you know, uh, motivate and, and send, you know, brands to, to, to think about, um, you know, like there's no, there's like nothing in, in privacy, um, you know, uh, you know, changes that are, are, are saying that you can't capture data on a, on a customer. It's just talking about, you know, what appropriate ways and notification and, and how to, you know, how to recognize it, that, that, that information potentially belongs to the consumer, not the brand, and you need to ask for it. So if you're a brand that has a reason to be asking for that information, you're transparent about why that, you know, a customer sharing that information will get a better experience, you'll be able to innovate faster, you'll be able to communicate uh, more directly. I, I think consumers that, like, like being savvy isn't, doesn't mean that they're not going to share that information. It just means that they're going to choose who they share it to, and it's not going to be so readily accessible. And I think that's a great thing, but that doesn't change. um, That doesn't limit our ability to be quantitative. 
it just means we have to be a bit more mindful and thoughtful and, and forward, you know, um, with, with how we um, capture data. Which is not a bad thing, which is, which is I, definitely I think, I think not a bad thing at all. <laughs> maybe, maybe marketers got like a little, a little lazy, a little lazy for a, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think the typical marketer was like evil, like, like no. in, in no. thinking in, in evil ways. I, I think, yeah, I think maybe laziness or, um, you know, getting a little too caught up in what was possible versus what should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this movement's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to, uh, I want to always, I always ask like rapid fire stuff to pull out like career insights from you, but, um, we did a lot, uh, we did a little bit of, uh, I guess, startup, uh, category definition and how to tackle new categories. You, sp- you spoke about, uh, marketing posty. Um, was there anything else that is top of mind for you in terms of direct mail, future of marketing, startup, entrepreneurship? I know like each one of these could be like a separate show. Yeah, let's, do, let's keep doing it. I'll, I'll be back uh, tomorrow. It'll be great. All right, let's do it. I would do a, I would do a full, I would do a full, um, like playbook from pre-revenue to like, you know, your first million, first five million. I think that'd be a really good show too. Cause I, I just, I, look, I, I love know. that topic and, I, and, and it's science when, um, when I was at, at yeah, part of the incubator, that's all yeah. we did. I know that's all you did. So I think that would be good too. First dollar. And then, you know, in some cases, first $300 million. But if you want to do another one, I'll do another one. All right, we'll do it. We'll do it. All right. We should should let let your listeners hear from someone else. So maybe like in a couple months. All right. Deal. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. So before, uh, before I pivot uh, into some rapid fire stuff, um, closing thoughts on future of marketing, but also more importantly, if people want to contact you, uh, social media, website, email, whatever you want to drop, where do they go? Yeah, I mean, certainly LinkedIn is, is a super easy way to, to, to meet me um, and communicate. And LinkedIn Messenger is a great one um, once we're connected. So feel free to shoot me invites there. Um, yeah, if you're interested in connecting with Posty, um, the, the website's great. Um, a lot of content and information there that can get you started. But um, uh, certainly if you... Uh, you know, fill out the, the lead request form, you'll, you know, we'll get you routed to the right team member. And, um, and, and yeah, I think those are the two best. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, so let's go through uh, some, I guess, some career insights. Um, here, let me just pull up. Okay, so first question I want to pull out from you is biggest challenge you've had in your career, personal, professional life? What was that? How'd you overcome it? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, I I think probably the the biggest ch- challenge and, and maybe like darkest um, time was the first time I was I, I kind of um, took on an entrepreneurial challenge. Um, it, I was building a startup funded by another company. So um, I kind of stepped into uh, an, an environment where there was a, a few hundred, a few million dollar budget and a general idea. And I was, it was really my first attempt to build something from the ground up. And I'll be honest, I just, I did not do a great job. Um, and, and it was lack of knowledge, naivete, um, being overwhelmed, um, uh, I think that was that was my my first wake up call. And it was probably the first time in my career where I was doing something that I think I was just um, underwater on and 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 ill equipped to um, to handle. Uh, I that that was just those are dark days. It was it was I, I you know I, I could feel myself I think 
like drowning a bit and um and 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 uh and it could have gone very differently right it, it could have it could have i could have walked away from that experience and said oh i'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur but i think i just got angry and mad and was frustrated at, at how little i knew about so many things that you need to know to be um, successful launching a company and and i just kind of put my head and went back to work and um uh it worked out but it was a very humbling experience i think and um and and i it was the first time i kind of had to acknowledge I, I wasn't so good at what i was doing and that was a long long two-year stretch that is a long two-year stretch to feel like you're drowning that's not that's tough but it, it all that matters is how you come out of it at the end of the day that's really all that matters yeah i agree um, if you had to choose one person who was incredibly impactful in your life, there's probably been many, but you have to pick one. Who was that person and what did they teach you? Um, th this is, it's tough. I I'm going to, I'm going to do a, a blend because I have to, okay. it makes sense. So, um, it's definitely my mom and dad. Uh, so I, I have two parents that, um, are, 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 are wonderful parents. My, my dad passed away a few years ago. Um, my mom is still alive and well. And, um, and they, they grew up in a, in a commission-only um, business where uh, they had very high aspirations of the type of life that they wanted to for themselves and for us as a family. And, uh, and they had very unpredictable um, uh, finance and, and kind of personal, personal finance, um, some good years, some bad years. Um, they, from a very young age, instilled that they in, in me that they, they didn't care what I did um, professionally. They wanted me to find something that I was passionate about. They wanted me to make sure I got an education, and they wanted me to be financially in control of um, of of my life and be and 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 and, um, and I think that translated itself into my sisters and myself as. Um, as in work ethic, quite frankly. Um, so I think that, um, that what I took away from kind of seeing some of their, their, their stresses and their motivation and the life lessons that they were trying to impose, um, on us to make our lives a little bit easier, um, you know, played, played its way out, you know, as, as, you know, you're always in it, you're always a student, you're always learning, you have to be working your butt off at all times. Um, you got to keep your eyes open and you got to be in control of your own destiny. And, uh, I think that's tremendously shaped, um, yeah, my, my adult life, but certainly my career. Good, good. Very good advice. Um, if you had to pick a, a source to learn or, or grow from, it could be a book, podcast, audible, anything that you've, it could be business, non-business. What would you recommend people go check out? Um, well, so I'm a huge um, uh, consumer of behavioral economics and behavioral psychology um, books. Uh, I, yeah, our, our, my team here will, will laugh if they're, if they're listening to this because I, I pull out, um, you know, uh, insights and examples, even from like crazy psychology, you know, university <laughs> studies that I think are applicable. Um, uh, I'm looking at, at um, my shelf, my bookshelf right now to make sure I get it right. Um, there's a book that I've been recommending, um, uh, 
quite often um, to people in my sphere, um, it's it's kind of a good primer to behavioral economics um, called Thinking Fast and Slow by um, Daniel Kahneman. And he's a Nobel Prize winning uh, behavioral economist. Uh, there's a number of other books um, by him. And I think it's I think his partner was Amos Tversky, um, as well as a bunch of papers. And what they have, um, you know, the, the, the idea behind behavioral economics essentially is that um, we all think we're like these free thinkers and making decisions. And the reality is like our brains are wired to respond, um, you know, uh, specifically to, to, to various stimuli. And you kind of realize like, yeah, maybe we're not all as free as we think we are. Um, I, I so that I I know that book. I, I haven't read it in a minute, but um, it's been a while. But that book is like slightly depressing because <laughs> you realize that a lot of the things that you thought are of your own design are not at all. It's, so it's, I, I think I totally get why you're saying that, and and it does it, like look. I think it's anxiety provoking, but yeah. The, but when you start understanding what is and what isn't controllable, um, then uh, and, and, and the whole concept behind like thinking fast and slow is that there, there are like reactionary, um, um, uh, responses that we have in certain situations and that's kind of the fast part of your brain. And then there are times that, that, um, you know, that rationalization takes over and kind of, you can mm. kind of slow things down and take control. Um, so it's like your instinctual brain versus your thoughtful brain, uh, Look, I mean, it helps me understand my dogs a little bit better and my kids and <laughs> their developing brain, uh, you know, have a little bit more empathy that someone responded some way. Maybe it's not because they're a jerk or um, weren't thinking. No, maybe right. it's because, true. Yeah, they're just wired that way. And we hit a trigger point and it caused a instinctual reaction. No, it's good. It's good. It's a good book. He's he's brilliant. It just uh, I just it, it's a good recommendation. It, it, I think any, everyone should read it if they haven't. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Oh, my 20 year old self. My gosh, I have to like think where, like what I, what I was doing when I was 20. Um, uh, well, I think I would tell my 20 year old self, um, you don't know that much and you should ask a bunch more questions. That's good advice. That's very good advice. Um, and then the last question, what does success mean to you? Oh gosh, we're like, we're going deep here. Um, <laughs> six, uh, I think success is, is staying in the game long enough to always have another achievement that you're looking ahead. Um, for, for me, um, and there are a lot of entrepreneurs that, that have reached, I think like, like incredible success they've had a monster exit. And I, and I think they, there's a common thread. There's, there's a certain sense of emptiness. Like after mm -hmm. that happens, like, what are you going to do next? So I guess there's a lot of what reasons why there are so many serial entrepreneurs out there. But I think to me, it's always like, um, success is, is, is achieving, but being able to push the goalpost back. So never quite getting there, but also not because you're, you're failing, but because you're accomplishing so much that it's opening up new doors. Uh, I, I just, I, to me, that's, it, it, it really is the path. Um, you got to accomplish along the way, but it, but it, it's the path. It's not like getting to some end game.
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 